Good evening, GOC. Turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 7. We'll be reading the first six verses. Follow along with me. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So then, oh, therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body, to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. It's the 1960s. Communist Russia has completely taken over, and Richard Wormbrand is a pastor and he writes in his memoir, Tortured for Christ, an account after account of what it means to suffer for Jesus. And here's how he describes uh, those who are imprisoned, those Christians who are imprisoned, and the brainwashing they have to go through. Listen to this. Westerners have probably heard about brainwashing in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. I, Richard, have passed through brainwashing myself. It is the most horrible torture. We had to sit for 17 hours a day for weeks, months, and years hearing communism is good. Communism is good. Communism is good. Christianity is stupid. Christianity is stupid. Christianity is stupid. Give up. Give up. Give up. Several Christians have asked me, how could we resist brainwashing? There is only one method of resistance to brainwashing, and that is heart washing. If the heart is cleansed by the love of Jesus Christ, and if the heart loves him, one can resist all tortures. What would a loving bride not do for a loving bridegroom? What would a loving mother not do for her child? If you love Christ as Mary did, who had Christ as a baby in her arms, if you love Jesus as a bride loves her bridegroom, then you can resist such tortures. Richard speaks of Christians who were never released from their physical bondage to the communist regime. But he speaks of 
a better bondage to a better master, and that is Jesus. He's not only a better master, but released them from the ultimate bondage, that is, which is sin. And so the text that we're going to look at today speaks of not being under the bondage or the mastery of the law, but rather of Christ. So the Christian no longer serves the law, but he serves his new master, Jesus, whom he joyfully serves, and he fulfills the law. And this text will reveal to us three corrections in light of the Christian, our new relationship to the law. The first correction is this. The law does not dictate your allegiance. Look at verses 1 through 3. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? The married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Last week, Matt finished up, wrapped up chapter 6 for us, and to sum that up, uh, chapter 6 is no longer abusing grace so that we can continue to live uh, in our fleshly lives, but we are devoted wholly to what is what he called the righteous reign of Jesus. Uh, this week, Paul, in chapter 7, takes a different angle, a different approach to speak on the same reality. Look at that, congr- uh, that conjunction, or. Or is usually equated as an equal sign in logic. And so Paul is coming at a different angle in the same issue. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law. If you recall, just flip one page over to chapter 6, he, he says in chapter 6, verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So there's the first part he's talking about living not according to your flesh no longer. Now he's transitioning so that we no longer live according to those who are under the law. Okay, Still speaking about the same issue, but coming at it in a different angle. Are you guys following? So, this is no longer uh, living according to flesh, but living according to law. All right? We're free from both. So, look at the second, uh, the second half of the first verse, that the law has jurisdiction of a person as long as he lives. So, in our first life, we're under the law. Jurisdiction meaning authority, uh, sphere of influence, control. But no, we, no, we no longer live in light of that. So rather, he's answering the question to those who, who know the law. This isn't just talking about the Jews or the Gentiles. It's not like a, a clear-cut distinction that way. But it's just, okay, we're going to talk about the flesh. We talked about the flesh. Now we're going to talk about the law. So as long as you're alive, you're under the law's influence. You're under the law's authority. And so Paul uses an illustration to help us understand this concept. So this illustration is long, but it teaches us a simple truth. Okay? A married woman bound by the law 
is married to her husband. And so if her husband and her are still alive, they're one in the flesh. Uh, if, if one of them were to go to another person, that would be called adultery. However, if one of them dies, the, the spouse who is living is freed from that law and is available to marry another person. Right? That's the law. That's what Paul is saying here. I think for us, there's a natural tendency for us to put labels in. We want to understand things, so we, we put labels in. We attribute like, okay, so you're, what you're saying is the married woman is like us, the believer. And her first husband must be the law. So we're married to the law. We're under the law's jurisdiction. And therefore, that another man is Jesus because we're with Jesus now, right? We, we, we like to put these, uh, these labels on so that we can better understand the illustration. That's true, but the question we must ask then, if this, is il- if this is an illustration that Paul is using, why does he still use the law in his illustration? Um, it, the purpose of an illustration is to clarify with simpler terms and concepts a more complicated concept. So why does he use the same concept to illustrate the concept that he was teaching. And I think this is where we kind of overthink this illustration when we read this text, is that actually Paul is just pointing out that when a spouse dies, the spouse who is living is free to marry another person. That's just the law. And so the reality is, Christians, we can say we're married to the law, but Paul is just saying, your allegiance now is, is different because someone has died. Someone here has died. Right? And so this leads us to our next point, that the law does not define your identity. This is verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So what is Paul actually explaining here? Who actually died? We did. The reality is the law did not die. The law is always the law, but we're the ones who are living and died. And so if you take, if you take Paul's analogy even further, if you really overthink this, we're not actually the married woman. We're that first husband who died. But now you kind of see how, like, the analogy, like, that overthinking breaks down because then you're like, wait, but the law is not free to marry Jesus, is he? No, 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 no. So you see, you see the confusion, right? I don't want you guys to be, don't overthink this because Paul is just saying, this is just how it is. This is how the law works. You're the one who died. And so we have died in Christ by what does Paul say? through the body of Christ. And when we're, when we're regenerated, we're justified, we experience a spiritual death. And that is a death to self. That is a death to the flesh, as Romans 6, Matt explained last week. And because we had died, we're able to join another, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead. So what Paul is saying in, in this illustration and, and ex, in his explanation in verse 4 is that there's actually two deaths going on here. Two deaths 
and two resurrections, okay? So the first is the death of Christ. Christ has died first. Christ has died first, and he was raised first, as he is the firstborn of the dead. And it's his reality that the resurrection of Jesus Christ not only validated his sacrifice as legitimate, his sacrifice is the real deal, but it's efficacious, meaning that it worked. The sacrifice worked. The resurrection validates that claim. So that's the first death and the first resurrection. The second death is us. So when we're justified, we justified by faith, we experience a spiritual death, a dying to self, and that is all made possible because Jesus has paved the way for that. And so in our justification, we're regenerated, we're renewed, and Jesus, calling this new resurrection uh, in John 3, he calls that the new birth. You must be born again. And so we have died, and we have also raised in a spiritual sense. And so this is the point that Paul is trying to teach us the whole time, that because of Christ's resurrection, we can be resurrected again to him. And therefore, since he is alive and we are alive, we're able to join together in union. And this is huge. Uh, if you take nothing away tonight, just know this, that as a Christian, your death and Jesus' death produced new life by the blood and power of Jesus so that we can be united with him. It's the union with Christ that makes salvation what it is. So union with Christ has, in this text, set us free from the law, the first husband, and union with Christ has moved us away from the jurisdiction of the law to the jurisdiction of himself, that, that the law does not dictate your allegiance. And union with Christ has enabled us to live lives in proper relationship to God. And so union with Christ has not only redefined our identity, uh, it's no longer a sluggish obedience to the law, trying to see if you're worthy enough, if you're good enough, but rather we live in joyful obedience to Jesus. And what is the purpose of all this? It's so that in order that we might bear fruit for God, what is the purpose for being united to Christ, our new husband? Is to bear fruit. It's to be conformed to the image of him who bought us. It's to be more like him. Uh, that's the whole aim and desire of the Christian life. It's not to, to live good now, live a moral life now, not that you live, uh, you proclaim Jesus, but everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you think is because I just want to be like Jesus. If there's one desire in my life, I just want to be like Jesus. And so we bear fruit. We, we seek to produce fruit. You look at Galatians 5. Uh, you emulate those traits. You learn what it means in his word. What, what does it really mean to bear fruit? And we look forward to the ultimate fruit that one day we would see him face to face. And at that point, we will be like him. I want to use an illustration. Uh, a good majority of you will be married. You'll find someone. 
and you might doubt yourself now, and that's okay. But in God's good providence and kindness, many of you uh, will be married. Have hope, guys. <laughs> and many of you will stand, hopefully in front of a pastor, hopefully in front of a church, and you'll say your wedding vows. You'll repeat, or you'll write your own, or whatever you do. But at the end of your wedding vow, you're going to say a very poignant, effective phrase that really encapsulates marriage. Both of you guys will take turns and say, till death do us part. Till death do us part. And that's the commitment, that you'd be committed to the other person till death does you part. What ends a marriage? Death. Death. Uh, all of us will die. And when you're married, uh, unless in some good, awesome, incredible providence of God, one of you will die before the other. And your marriage ends then. And I can't help but think, what is it like for the spouse who is left behind? If you're in Christ, you know that the spouse, your spouse who has died is with Jesus. And we can't fully understand it now because we still live in this fleshly body, but when your spouse dies and is brought into heaven and meets Christ and becomes just like Christ, but he or she will see him as he is. Another wedding vow, another marriage will take place. That the earthly marriage has ended, yes. But that spouse who has died will say vows that does not end with till death do us part. Because there will be no death. That for all eternity, she'll be united with Christ. And, you, and we all have that hope that one day when we step into glory, We'll see him. He'll greet us at those heavenly doors. And we'll be united with him. That is the reality that is only pictured now. Spiritual reality now, but a physical reality to come later. And the purpose of marriage is an earthly mirror of a heavenly reality. And this, present, this reality is present and ongoing, and the text is teaching us that. The text is teaching us that we were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that we can be joined to him. Christian, if you are here right now, you are enjoying the fruits and the benefits of that union with Christ. That's the joy that you have. 
That's the joy that knowing that one day I will be like and be with Jesus. And I just have to ask, if you don't know this Jesus, if you don't know this Christ, you don't have that. You don't understand that. You don't fully grasp what it means to have a Savior and a Lord and a husband who loved you and gave himself up for you. This is the truth of the gospel, that we were living in our sin, living according to the flesh, living by a law that we can never fully achieve to live out perfectly. And because of that, we are condemned. But Jesus has come, and Jesus has died, and Jesus was raised so that we can be united with him. He died so that he can purchase, purchase his bride back as Hosea did with Gomer. There will never exist a perfect earthly husband, but there exists the heavenly one. Is that your hope? That as you live, as you go to your classes, as you seek to prepare yourself for a career, what is your motivation that ultimately drives you? That Jesus, my master, the one that I'm united with, is watching over for me, is waiting for me. Is that your hope? Do you know this Jesus? Because single or married, Jesus changes your identity to be one like him. So meditate on that union. Uh, think hard on how your relationship with him moves you to obedience. And this brings us to the last point to help us understand what the law, how the law no longer applies to us, how the law, our, our Christian relationship is different now to the law. The third point is the law does not demand your service. Verses 5 and 6. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So, Paul makes another contrast. He jumps back again to speak of our time while we're in our first life, life in the flesh. And he says that sinful passions, our inner sinful being, were at work. And they were aroused by the law. Now, what does that mean? It isn't so much that the law is standing there like, like Satan tempts us and tells us, like, ooh, dishonor your father and mother. The law doesn't say that. The law says, honor your father and mother. So why is it that we dishonor them? Why is it that we still disobey? It's because the sinful passions were being flared up, were being, were being uh, drawn to disobey what God would, has set as holy, righteous, and good. And so those sinful passions 
that indwelling sin that, that all of us has, we're at work. We're at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So if the purpose of our second marriage is to bear fruit for God, the purpose of our first marriage is to bear fruit to death. To death. Everything that we did, aroused by the law, what it was God has set his standard before us, our sinful passions took that, ran with it the other way, and decided this is how it's going to be. And God, being a holy, just God, cannot let that pass. And he's essentially saying, if you continue down that path, it will lead to death. If you do not know Christ today, that is the path that you are on. That is the trajectory that you are on, that hell is very much real. Don't, don't deny that. Don't block that out. Scripture is very clear of heaven and hell, of God, of the work of Jesus. And he, he's showing us right now, Paul is teaching us that this is the reality of your life if you are not in Christ. But, contrast again, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not oldness of the letter. Union with Christ releases us from the bondage of the law. Uh, it is no longer us trying to, us seeing the law for what it is, trying to match up to it, falling short of it, frankly, most likely doing the opposite of it. We're no longer bound by that. Having died to that which we were bound. We died. We died. That is the reality of the Christian, is to die. To die, as Paul says, is to gain. So that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And the purpose of our first death is still service. We serve not according to our own power and not according to our own strength. But we serve by the power that the spirit, the Holy Spirit that God has sent provides. And we no longer serve by the power of the letter which is the law. Trying to match up, trying to see where can I... Where can I do better? I'm going to do try harder next time. I'm just going to, I'm going to white knuckle my way. No longer look at filthy things on the internet. No longer gossip behind my roommate's back. I'm just going to try harder next time. That's so much of living, isn't it? That's just thinking that I can just pull myself up by my bootstraps and just bare knuckle my way through. But Paul is saying that we've been released from that. You don't have to live that way. The law doesn't demand your service. That is not the reality in which you live anymore. Um, to use an illustration, the law is like an in-law. Uh, most of you don't have in-laws. But it's okay. Some of you hopefully will eventually. 
And so an in-law, you're not related by blood. You're related by marriage, by legality, by covenant. Um, there's, not a, there's, there's not a direct relationship going on there. But there's still a relationship nonetheless. That's the same way with the law. You don't have a direct relationship with the law anymore, as in you serve him as master slave would, because that is defined by Jesus, Jesus Christ now. Uh, but there's still a relationship nonetheless. And so we still serve. We serve Jesus, but we're still related to the law somehow. Who do you serve? Do you still serve the law? Do you still think that by keeping the law, by being a good, moral person, why, do you sh- why, why, should I, why, sh- why should I go to heaven? Why should God let me go to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm just a good person. I, I didn't kill anyone. If you continue thinking and living like that, you have missed the picture entirely because Jesus has come and Jesus has died and Jesus has raised from the dead. Who do you serve? How do you serve? Right? How do you serve? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Commandments. Law. Okay. So the law still does play a part somehow. However, Paul is saying that, yes, the law does play a part, but remember, remember that the law is not your master. The law is not your master. Jesus is. Jesus takes the law and transforms it and uses it in such a way that we still please him. And so tonight, we have set the boundaries, so to speak, um, to properly define something. In my seminary classes, to properly define a term that's very ambiguous and difficult to to define, you have to define the negatives, what something is not. So that you know that when you declare that something is something positively, when you make a positive assertion, that you know that it's on the money. So tonight, we set the boundaries. What the law is not. The three corrections. The law does not dictate, decide our allegiance. It does not decide um, our identity. And it does not dictate our purpose. Listen to what Sinclair Ferguson describes between the relationship that believers have with the law. He says, For we are not divorced from the law by believing that the commandments do not have binding force, but only married to Jesus Christ in union with whom it is our pleasure to fulfill them. The law has shifted, has shifted its position. It's no longer us plus law equals salvation, but it's Christ equals salvation, and we obey the law as a result of that. All right, so next week, we're going to look at verses 7 through 12, and we're going to look at what it really means to fulfill the law. That at the end of it all, Paul says that, so then, In verse 12, the law is holy and the commandments is holy, righteous, and good. Christian, do not go out of here thinking that I can unhinge from my Old Testament and toss it out. 
The Ten Commandments, I don't need it anymore. Rather, we still very much do need it. It helps and shapes and guides our life to how, it's, how we can properly please God. Our new identity is in Christ. We've been united with Christ now. That is who we are. We don't longer serve the law. We don't longer serve our flesh either. And so, may we think hard and meditate hard and be thankful and give thanks and live, in a, live a life in such a way that would bring glory to him.